Welcome to the one, the only, the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast heard all over the world thanks to the World Wide Web. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber, and with me as always, my co-host, the evening show executive producer for Denver 7 News, it's Joseph Peters. And right now, Mr. Peters... I will allow only 45 seconds for you to gloat about your beloved Patriots and their leader, Tom Brady. Again, just for the next 45 seconds, go. I'm only going to take five of them. Six rings. You should have said six rings goat. What's a ram to a goat? (laughs) (laughs) There you have it, everybody. Congratulations, I guess, to the Patriots for... Ruining my football life for the last 15 years. You know, everybody at work wanted to talk smack about how boring the game was, and aren't I ashamed of myself because the Patriots won the most boring Super Bowl, and wouldn't the Saints have cleaned the Patriots' clock because of how bad they played against the Rams, and shouldn't the Patriots have laid down against the Chiefs so America could have enjoyed a more important Super Bowl? And to that I say, beat us. Yeah. (laughs) Beat us. Yeah, I know. Well, it will eventually happen because the tandem, Belichick-Brady, can't go forever. They just can't. We don't. We, do Look, we have proof of that? What? What? Uh, Lindsey Vaughn just had to retire. Mm-hmm. She can't go forever. She actually mentioned Tom Brady. Remember, we we had uh, a guest on talking about brain IQ and the brain driving, right, and making your making your brain better for driving. And and Tom Brady uses that program. So not only is he a better driver than us, he's a better football player than us. Well, I mean, the the quick release, man. Everything that the Brain HQ guy talked to us about, about how it improves your reaction time and how you're able to make decisions more quickly, it comes through in Tom Brady. So the guy the guy's selling us some legit stuff. Yeah. Uh, he says he wants to play till he's 45. That gives us four more years of Brady Belichick. Uh, I hope you're ready for it. Well, coming up on the show, we're talking yellow lights. And other issues, we have Representative Hugh McKean from Larimer County here in Colorado who introduced a bill that would have made the traffic lights go instead of just red to green, it would first go from red to yellow for a few seconds and then down to green like it does from green to yellow to red. We'll talk to him about that bill as as well as some other transportation issues uh, that affects just about everybody around the country. It's, I think, really going to be a great interview, uh, and it's going to be coming up in just a minute. But first, I, I wanted to tell you about a little town in Germany mm. where voters have said once again that they don't want to have any of their streets named. You're, you're looking at me with a puzzlement. Yes, because I am puzzled by that statement. 60% of the town of Hil, Hil, Hilgermissen. Nailed it. In northern Germany. <laughs> Like that, uh, the streets don't have any names. The proposal that these all people that these people voted on was intended to make it easier for people and police and firefighters, especially, to find their way around the small town of 2,200 people. Addresses right now consist of a house number and the name of the former village that the town used to be. Like you two says, where the streets have no name. You're stunned. I'm I'm broken. I don't get it. <laughs> don't, how does this work? Well, how do I? How, I don't okay. know. They don't want sure. street, they don't want street names. Sure. All okay. Right. Drivers in Wales are that, the streets paved. Yes. Okay. So yes. so it's a real place. Oh, it's, it's a not real like place. A they have real stuff. It's well, yeah, because they, they, in Germany, I guess they used to have villages. That's the way you know. So I guess okay. they're village people. I mean, you would think that if you go through some of these like jungle areas, it's not like you can send your mail to rainforest. P.O. Box, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you're kind of just going to wherever the tribe is. So if it was that sort of scenario, I get it. But, this, I mean, it's you're a real talking town about Denver. Real pe- yeah. yeah, real town, real people, real roads, real dumb. Drivers in Wales, that's in the United Kingdom, if you didn't know. Thanks. Uh, they're being told not to slow down because of, A, carjackings, B, congestion, or C, dragons. C. Dragons is correct. Yes. There's a giant wooden dragon that has prompted a police warning to drivers to not slow down and look at it after several crashes and numerous near misses. (laughs) The gigantic carving is called the Oak Dragon, and sculptor Simon O'Rourke, who spent nearly a week carving it with a chainsaw from a fallen oak branch at the request of the property owner, is urging motorists as well to pay attention to the road and not the carved wooden dragon. He says the wooden dragon is less intrusive than billboards, but still thinks when you're in control of a car, you should be paying attention to the road. 
That's wise advice. That is wise advice. North Wales police say while they love the Oak Dragon, they are concerned about road safety issues even more so. So there you go. Not the dragon's fault. That is the driver's fault. Do not eliminate the dragon because the drivers cannot stop staring at it. That's exactly right. Sorry. Well, last week on the show, we talked about several transportation bills that are making their way through the Colorado legislature, including a very interesting one that would have changed the way the traffic lights operate. I'll explain how in just a minute. But joining us now is the author of that bill, the member of the Colorado House of Representatives, the Honorable Hugh McKean. Mr. McKean, thank you for taking some time out of your very busy legislative day to be with us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, you, you must have have talked to someone else about the very busy legislative day, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Well, I know you have to be on the floor in a bit, so let me know when you have to go. Now, let's start with the yellow light bill. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, the bill would have changed the way traffic lights operate. Instead of the light changing from red to green as they do now, the light would first change from red to yellow first for a few seconds before then turning to green so similar in the way that it changes from green to yellow to red so what went into your decision to introduce this bill so i have teenage kids and we decided to have them take a slick driving course i don't know if you've ever taken one of those but it's pretty fun you you get in a car that is actually designed to skid and, and you go and you learn how skids feel and you learn how to correct the car. And the person who instructed that class was a paramedic. And he is up in Brighton. He mostly works up on Highway 85. And if any of your listeners have ever driven Highway 85, then you will know that it goes, you know, from, from Denver kind of northeast up toward Greeley. And what happens on that highway is you're traveling along at 65 miles an hour and you have a traffic light in front of you and all of a sudden you go from 65 to zero and then the cross street traffic takes off. Well, this paramedic said some of his most horrific crashes up there were people running that red light at 65 miles an hour and hitting the traffic that was commencing perpendicular to their route. And he had grown up in Poland and he said, you know, we just didn't have as many of these kinds of accidents in Poland because we have this system by which the lights cycle from red to yellow to green. And so I asked him, you know, what, what's the purpose of it? I mean, is it just a notifier that you're about to commence, check your intersection? Does it, does it give an extra second or so for the intersection to clear? And, and it's both actually. So it's, it's, it's a instilling in the cross traffic drivers that, you are about to commence, take a look, make sure the intersection's clear, but it does also add that little bit of time to make sure that the intersection can be clear. Now, of course, what could be done with that is just to extend the yellow um, on the other side of the street, but it would not have any, any beneficial effect to the traffic commencing. That's interesting because the way I thought it might be most beneficial is for a congested downtown, let's say downtown Denver area, where you have a pedestrian that might be either halfway or three-quarters of the way across a intersection, and then the light, instead of it just automatically going from red to green, and then they're fair game and, and going to get run over, but you at least have maybe a second or two or three seconds of a yellow light for that pedestrian to then you know put some, put some fire on his feet and get, get out of the road. Well, I, I think that there's even a, a, a third way here, which is it tells people to put down their damn cell phones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? You yeah. know, hey, you're about yeah. to drive. You might want to start paying attention now. So um, it, I think that there are multiple layers of what, what could be beneficial out of it. Um, and, and really, truly, it came from that, that perspective of somebody who shows up to these accidents. And, and it affects them. You know, he, he really he got very emotional when we talked and he said, you know, these are these are the worst things to come upon because because it's so avoidable. And um, and so that's that's kind of where the idea for this came. So what was the reaction that you received when you were talking about it and then first introduced this bill? Uh, immediate and sudden backlash. Wow. From from where and, and how much? 
You know, it's interesting from um, emails that I got from people saying, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, but, but very much from the, um, from the people that we invest the responsibility in to, to keep our roads operating and safe. Um, CDOT came back. You know, this is going to be a huge expense. It's just going to be a tremendous expense. And even though there might be some merit, you know, we're not sure that, that this is where we want to put this much money. Um, and, and then the municipalities really truly, too, said, you know, if we have to fix this, um, you know, it's, it's going to put our staff under a lot of pressure to get out and do this. Uh, however, I think we'd already really thought through those things. Um, number one, it shouldn't require any new equipment because we see our traffic engineers out working on lights all the time. And to add this, this function, unless there's some hardware that prevents it, um, really should be just, just telling the light to have that little bit of cycle in it. And then the other side is we, we really pushed this out so that it was not go do this now. It was in the normal course of operations over the next 10 years um, do this. However, that raised another question, which is how would it work in a state where some lights function that way and some lights don't? Right. And I, I think that's a very valid concern. Yeah, that, um, because my my issue, because I, I see that the bill has been pro postponed indefinitely uh, by the House Committee on Transportation and Local Government. Uh, we'll ask what's next in just a minute. But I, but I imagine one of the main hurdles would have been uh, that the movement would need to be included in the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices before it be, could become law, because that is basically the standard across the country for all traffic devices for paintings on the road, that sort of thing. So when you're driving between Colorado and New York State, that you're, you're seeing the same stuff across the entire country. Have you, have you, did you talk to any of the traffic engineers? Uh, you said that CDOT contacted you, but did you, did you talk to any of them about how that change could be made? You know, I talked to several people. We did not come to the understanding of how we would change the manual other than just, you know, if it's a law in Colorado, maybe you can do it. However, it, it is a federal law, and that's, that's when we started really looking for studies. Um, and, and just so you understand, there's a timeline here. So we propose our bills, they get drafted, and then, then often just as we're, we're trying to get stakeholder input on all these things, we really start digging deep and looking for, you know, what, what studies are out there? What have, have um, independent resources come and said, this is an idea that, that is good? And so we started digging in, looking for those. And that is actually when we found that, yes, there, there is actually a federal prohibition on having any, any light between the, the red and the green. It's surprising that, that it's that specific, but, um, but in that manual and in federal uh, statute, it says, no, you can't have anything between these two colors. Yeah, and that's as I understand it, so we are standard across the country. Did you envision that drivers would start right on yellow or would they have to wait until it turned green after it turned from red to yellow because right now you know as you go through any intersection and, and probably as as that paramedic would have told you people are seeing a yellow light and they're gunning it and not trying to come to a stop um that is that is true i so my anticipation with this would be that that the traffic commencing at a light would wait for the green but, but let's, let's actually take this outside a little. Number one, I, I have a lot of respect for our drivers who, who don't need everything in New Jersey to be exactly the way it is in Colorado. I think that we, we have a pretty robust system of teaching people how to drive, and so they can probably figure all this out. Um, usually it's the nannyistic federal government that says, you know, people couldn't possibly do this unless we put it in law somewhere. But what, what I think is interesting is this discussion led to a whole lot of other conversations one of which was with our police chief up in Loveland and several other police chiefs around the state, we are seeing red light incursions at, a, at an increasing rate. And I think almost all your listeners will, will agree that when they drive down the road and, and they, they are coming to an intersection, we're beginning to do this anyway. We're beginning to, to look both ways for, for more than just the old you know, second or two. We're looking to see, is somebody traveling at 50 miles an hour coming to a stoplight that they're not going to stop. And, and we're seeing it more and more. Maybe it's because we're a busier culture. Maybe it's because, well, maybe it's just because people don't care or because they bought the car with a turbo. I don't know. But 
in a way, as a as a legislator, you try to think of what is the solution for this issue, because we are putting people at risk by allowing this kind of situation to either occur or increase. And and really, what are the two answers? Either you figure out some way of mechanically delaying a signal, as I was describing, or you hire more police officers and write more tickets, or you have red light cameras and 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 start that cultural shift of okay, I'm not going to run that red light anymore. But right now, um, there is a there's a bill that's uh, there in 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 the legislature about red light cameras and to eliminate them st- uh, statewide. And in fact, I would support that bill, not because. Not because I, I think that we don't care. I think that it's it, my, I spend a lot of time in Norway. I, I, I drive from the southern end of Norway to the northern end of Norway. And there are what they call the uh, silent policemen, which are these cameras for catching speeders. Um, the thing I don't like about cameras is that they have no, they have no experience. They have no way to understand what else was going on at that intersection so that maybe that person ran a red light, but it was because somebody else was, you know, turning in front of them and they needed to get around it. Um, the silent policeman in Norway, what if you just passed a car and you're getting back into your lane of traffic and decelerating, but you're still above the speed limit? The camera doesn't know that. This is why we pay police officers. Um, but, but in the end, you know, you can imagine the physical impact of having to hire a lot more police officers. So it's always that balance between what you want to achieve and and what and and what the costs are or the manpower cost or the or the you know even traffic timing right if we change the light timing then it's going to affect the next light down the road the next light down the road so it's it's a very complicated hairball i know i'm jumping into the conversation late but you said something there that i thought was really interesting which is that you would support a ban on red light cameras, which have been proven to reduce accidents at certain intersections because drivers are accustomed to uh, knowing to stop for the red light or else they're going to get that ticket in the mail. And so I'm just curious how you rationalize a ban on red light cameras, which are a proven safety improvement, when you also are pushing this yellow light bill, which the crux of your argument for that is that it would be a safety improvement. So what you're really asking is, why don't we just use the heavy hand of government to make sure that that we use a piece of technology that has no human interaction. It takes a picture of you. If you've crossed the line, you're done. It has no understanding of what the context of where you were in that intersection at that time. Uh, well, we've I mean, got, you're talking about using people, the heavy hand of government to change the way traffic lights, which have been around for several decades now, are done because we don't feel like we can trust them to look both ways before they go, right? No. And so you missed a whole bunch of the conversation. So what we actually are saying is that this, this instituting a program like this has been seen in Northern Europe and been seen in Scandinavia as, as just a, another piece of that puzzle for people. So it truly is look both ways, but it's also adding a bit of time at that intersection so that the intersection can clear. I don't disagree that, that red light cameras have that effect. I also would say that if you talk to the drivers in Fort Collins, they will tell you that that often if just the nose of their car having come to a stop is across a certain line, they're going to get that picture in the mail. So are either of these perfect? Absolutely not. And that's really, truly why, why, well, for one thing, why I asked for my bill to be postponed indefinitely, not just because it's precluded by federal law, but also because I have that ethic that as we're looking at these, you know, number one, there's the red flag of, okay, the Fed government says nothing between the red and the green signal. So what's interesting about that is when you get that in the manual of uniform traffic code, you don't get the background for why they do not want anything to be between those two signals. So that's what my, my folks and I am looking at is, all right, what is the purpose of precluding any light between red and green? And then, truly, unless you hire a lot more police officers, how do you do this? Or have more red light cameras? Um, how do you cause a change in behavior? So, the valid point that, that red light cameras do this, um, it's going to be an interesting thing because we, we often hear the people who call up and say, hey, this thing took a picture of me, and I was sitting there with just the nose of my car across the line, and once the picture is taken, then it's pretty much a... A sealed deal. We're speaking with Hugh McKean, representative in the Colorado State House from Larimer County, about transportation issues 
in the state. I, I have a bunch of other questions I would want to ask you. I know we're run, almost getting out of time here, but I'm going to first ask you about you are the uh, sponsor of the tandem DUI per se bill. And this is how the bill reads. The bill adds a new traffic offense of tandem DUI per se if a peace officer has evidence to believe that a driver had consumed alcohol or drugs, that the driver was substantially incapable of safely operating a vehicle, and that driver had any measurable amount of a drug in his or her blood or oral fluid. So does this basically mean that an officer has reasonable suspicion that the driver is drunk or high or both? Then that is enough for this DUI per se? So it's not just reasonable suspicion. It's a, it's a higher standard, which is um, demonstration of impairment. And so this is what our officers are already doing. Um, when they see someone who is weaving, when they see um, someone who sits at a green light for a period of time before going, they, they're constantly looking for these signs of, are you fully aware and capable of driving right now? Um, what's happening now is that our officers are doing their job and they're doing a really good job of it. They're pulling people over, making sure that we keep our roads safe. The challenge is that when, especially with uh, marijuana offenses, when it goes to trial, the standard has been a five nanogram, and I believe it's per deciliter of, of blood standard for what impairment, what constitutes impairment. The challenge truly is that it's bad science. No one can prove that every single person who has five nanograms in their blood is therefore impaired. And, and I think it's, it's to the credit of some of the people who, you know, who've been looking at this issue for a long time to say, you know, if our police officers are doing their jobs and we are, are going about our way trying to keep our roads safe and we are getting acquittals in, in court because the standard is based on poor science, what is a better standard? And so this tandem DUI per se literally puts two things together in this, which is one, the evidence of impairment. And that is, there are standards for it, but it is a judgment by that officer, this person appears to be impaired. And then on top of that, it is, then if you have, and we will be um, amending the bill to, to make sure that we don't um, have this impinge people who have normal medications in their blood that don't lead to impairment. But if you have then any amount of a drug that could cause impairment in your system, those two in tandem can, can be the basis for proof that you were impaired. Because it seems like it would be a dream for defense lawyers to say, well, you don't have any proof of impairment, uh, that, it's, that this is never going to hold up in court. Well, I think that it strikes that balance because one thing you don't want to create a law that just says, you know, if you mistakenly put on your left turn signal when you were turning right and you had had you know, one cocktail that day, we're nowhere near any legal limit, then therefore you are now being charged with, with rather a serious crime. Um, it's, it's that it, it's one to provide that there is a defense um, on the impairment side, but it's also to make sure that we don't use bad science to try to make sure that we're keeping our roads safe. When we, when we have a, a relatively new world of, of folks who ingest marijuana and, and some of whom choose to drive. And so it's, it's that balance between, between the rights of the individual and, and making sure we keep our roads safe. Do you see this as kind of a concession that because of where we're at with marijuana, there may never be science good enough to establish a link between uh, percentage in the bloodstream, let's say, and obvious impairment? Like, is this sort of admitting that you need the human judgment of, yes, this person appears impaired or no, they do not? Well, see, now we're back to the whole red light cameras thing, but no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really do. I, I don't think it means we'll never have good enough science. I think that it's, it's the understanding that right now we don't. And, and, you know, the science, if you think about what, what we have and, and what we can do, we don't have breathalyzers for marijuana. We don't have the, the kind of roadside tests that we really need to have to make sure that people who have a level of, whether it's a large degree of impairment or a small degree of impairment, that they have the, um, the ability to judge that and, and say, you know, this is, this is what we're... You know, what we're looking at, I think the science will catch up. 
to be very honest. Mm-hmm. I think that, that what we're going to see in coming years are, you know, are, are that technology that can be roadside technology that will, that will lead to that ability to say, yes, this, this is a standard. But I just really, truly, I don't think anybody's done a ton of study on, on where these are and what that uniform standard could be. And that's, that's really, truly why that five nanogram limit has been just, just not, not reliable enough for a jury to say, yeah, this, this is, this is why we convict you. We have about two minutes left with Representative McKean uh, from the state, Colorado State House, talking about these transportation issues. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to, to at least run by you is maybe increasing DUI laws. Like I, I, we have on the podcast here talked about, and I have, egregious DUIs, something well over the legal limit, let's say 0.15, at double the, uh, double the legal limit, would really to go after the really, 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 really drunk people. Is that something that you've thought about maybe upping those penalties? It, it absolutely is. So my chief of police is Chief Bob Tyser from Loveland. And Chief Tyser is the, the head of the DUI task force in Colorado. And so we've had a lot of those discussions, what that looks like, um, you know, how, how we'd go about that, or, or for that matter, the same kinds of things that you've seen in recent years, which is increasing penalties for anything more than one DUI. Um, and so I, you know, we're not in that space this year on legislation, but, um, I think we all have the same reaction when we hear of somebody being two or three times above the legal limit of how on earth do people choose to get in their car and drive. And so education is of course part of this, but there are some people who will just, just never stop to think. And in the 30 seconds we have left, quickly, your thought on the bill that would eliminate all the use of electronic devices in the car, not just texting and driving. Um, This is another one where, um, you know, I think there's some happy medium where we figure out, you know, I use hands-free devices when I'm driving more and more cars. As we see older cars start start coming off the road, more and more cars will have that built in. Um, in, In a way, I think a lot of those will be issues that take care of themselves. The challenge is that who can buy less expensive older cars? That's often teenagers. So those often those cars don't have the hands-free devices and we're, we're, we're having teenagers drive and use electronics at a stage of experience where it, it has the worst effect. Yeah, and it's not just teenagers, it's everybody. You can see that at no, every true. red light, you know, they're sitting there watching, yeah. scrolling see, back, through their back Facebook to the, Back to the whole idea of having the yellow light. <laughs> exactly. Put your down. We're about to drive. It's all full circle. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Representative McKean, thank you so much for your time and your insights here and the conversation here on our world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. We do appreciate it very much. Thank you guys very much. Have a great day on the floor, all right? Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Well, he kind of went after you on the red light thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair thing. Obviously, it's something he's passionate about. I think, you know, it would be a disservice to our listeners if I said last week very loudly, why fix red lights? They're not broken and wasn't willing to press him on a couple of these things. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's okay. He's, he can take the heat. I, I actually think... Now, after listening to him, and I, I should have gone back because I was thinking about it now, that the he was talking, the first impetus of this was that um, paramedic that was telling him about the red light runners. Well, it, it wouldn't help in the case of going from red to yellow to green. Uh, maybe, I guess maybe it would, but I... I think that people who are running red lights are running red lights because they're coming up on the on the red lights so fast because he's talking about a rural area where people are driving very fast mm-hmm. and and the light will go from green to yellow to red giving you that signal that hey you need to slow down and maybe the yellow light needs to be lengthened to 5 seconds in maybe a highway situation where people are going 55 or 60. I, I mean, people know the rules. They need to follow them. And we can't be adjusting the rules to accommodate rule breakers. We need people to be following yeah, them. That's a fair point. So. That's definitely a fair point. Uh, Luxembourg, the small country in Europe. You know, we are a worldwide show here. We talk about not just stuff here in Colorado, in Denver, in the United States, but we talk about world issues here. Yes, sir. So Luxembourg uh, is about to become the first country in the world to make all of its public transportation free. Fares on trains, trams, and buses will not be necessary starting next summer in 2020. Luxembourg City suffers from some of the worst traffic congestion, they say, in the world. It's home to about 110,000 people. 
but another 400,000 commuters who come into the city to go to work. Now, a study suggested that drivers there spend an average of 33 hours in traffic jams. Mm. Now, to escape the traffic jams, some of the drivers have taken to traveling in, uh, onto small roads with the little villagers uh, really getting annoyed by it. And last May, one of the small town mayors decided to close a border road to all these travelers because they were just sick of all the people trying to cut through their town and avoid all the congestion. I can see why he would want to do that. Absolutely. Now, this year, Luxembourg budgeted nearly 900 million euros in public money for its mass transit system. It only took in 30 million euros in ticket sales, so they are obviously subsidizing the majority of the cost of the public transit system. Right. And really, they only have to absorb, what is it, that's about 3% or so of the total cost to make it free for all. So it's not like they haven't already subsidized most of the cost of this system. They're, they're just going to forgive 30 million euros to make it all the way free for everyone. Well, and isn't that what the most frustrating thing about Denver's transit system is that we know that they're operating at a similar loss, although the numbers probably aren't that it's about 25 percent, 25 to 30 percent of revenues taken in cover the cost of the system. Right. So that is substantially higher than what we're seeing in Luxembourg, but it's still also only 25 to 30 percent. And when you figure that they continue to raise prices on what you would call the average person who you could actually get off the roads and get onto a bus while subsidizing so many people on the other side of the coin. I don't know, man. Like, why not just make public transit free? That's something we've talked about right. several times as, a way, as the most obvious solution to getting people off the roads and reducing congestion. They already have free transit for everyone who's under 20 uh, there in Luxembourg. So this would just make it free for all. Mm -hmm. And there are ob obvious uh, advantages to free transit. Uh, but there was a r report back in 2002, so maybe it's outdated. It's, what, 16 years old or so. And it was by the National Center for Transportation Research at the University of South Florida. And they say that large transit systems can't afford to operate at a loss. And when they do, they experience drawbacks, including a rise in vandalism, slower service, and overall increased crowds. Mm. Will we see all of that on trains and buses in trams in Luxembourg? Maybe. Because it's basically free now. So the one difference is that you're going to have whatever nominal fare they were charging become obviously nothing and then you're going to have on the fringes some people who maybe didn't want to take the transit because it did cost something jumping on the transit because now it's going to cost nothing so you might have the increase in ridership and with the increase in ridership do you need to increase the frequency of buses and trams and trains and that sort of thing that obviously incurs more maintenance costs uh you need more operators so the cost the 900 million euros as they have uh, budgeted right now, that cost could go up. And so it could be more than just a 3% or 5% loss uh, from yeah. Luxembourg's point of view. It could be 10 or 15% when it's all said and done. Which is all understandable. I also think that there's a decent argument to be made that the, the reasons why operators that have operated at such a substantial loss in other places won't face different problems than the ones in Luxembourg, Luxembourg, because we know that they're budgeting so much money towards it, it makes it seem like it's less likely for those things to get into disrepair in the same way that maybe like a Savannah, Georgia lets their buses get into disrepair and get vandalized because they're just not putting much money into the program. Yeah, and that's another big issue is that when you have more people using it, will there be more vandalism? I don't know, because it goes back to my theory about public versus private. When you have something that is public, people usually don't take care of it. Look at the New York City subway system. Look at a bathroom at a uh, rest stop. Uh, yeah, the state has to take care of it, but are they in the best condition ever? No, they are not as well uh, taken care of as, let's say, a private bathroom at a private store. Okay. It's, it's different when you have public versus private. But that's sort of the frontier versus United argument, right? Because, yes, the subway in New York City, uh, the bathrooms aren't always the nicest, but you also see people from all walks of life using it because it's the most convenient way to get around and because it also is cost effective. In the same way that a frontier flight is cost effective and sort of convenient, you just have to deal with the fact that you have no legroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But those are private companies, and they are going to take care of their planes, and they're going to take care of their equipment better than, let's say, we had a uh, state-run or a government-run airline that people aren't going to take care of any of it. And mm. so... It's just like at the Denver Public Library when you have all those uh, drug users in there 
taking the bathrooms and not treating the facility in such great shape. But if you had a private library, I guarantee you wouldn't have people shooting up in the li- in the library bathroom. I have a private library. It's in my apartment. Uh, you're invited. All good. Whenever you want. Thank you. Yeah. Will I be able to shoot up in there in your bathroom? Why not? Well, this all leads me to an editorial from the Los Angeles Times editorial board. And they published a piece this week, and it's titled, If You Want to Save Mankind, or at least ease traffic, you've got to pay a toll. They are basically advocating for congestion pricing, something we've talked about, something they're doing already in Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, in London, and they're talking about it seriously in New York City. Now, here's what the editorial says. It's a widely held, even cherished belief in California that freeways should be free free to drive on, and free from traffic congestion. Obviously, that belief doesn't match the reality in Los Angeles. Take a look at any major highway during rush hour, and you'll see car after car inching along bumper to bumper. That congestion carries a staggering societal cost to the environment, public health, and productivity. And as bad as traffic is today, it's projected to get far worse in the coming years as the region's population and economy grow. The L.A. Times editorial board continues in their piece, saying Southern California needs radical change to reduce traffic and slash the greenhouse gas emissions responsible for global warming. One radical solution is congestion pricing, charging people a fee to drive on the roads in certain areas during the most car-clogged times of the day. This has been done in London, Stockholm, and other cities around the world. Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transit Authority, CEO Phil Washington, who incidentally... He left Denver's Transit Authority, RTD, to run the one there in Los Angeles not too long ago. Downgrade. There. <laughs> well, anyway, Phil Washington, he broached the idea last month to charge rush hour tolls on drivers as part of a larger plan to raise billions of dollars to accelerate construction of major transportation projects for the 2028 Olympics. The fees would not only promote more people to use public transit, carpool, and avoid driving during the rush hour, they could raise 12 to $52 billion dollars over the next decade, that could be used both for construction and to eliminate buses and train fares. The one thing about whenever they come up with numbers like this, they usually are using at current levels. So let's say the levels of congestion stay the same, and the same number of cars at a certain cost will generate this much money. But aren't they trying to get rid of cars? Aren't they trying to eliminate the amount of cars that will be on the roads? So should they factor that in there and say, we're only going to have half of the cars paying this much toll? They should, but I I think they're also realistic enough to say, hey, we're not getting half the cars off the road. In fact, we're going to be lucky if we get 2% of the cars off the road. So there's no reason to account for a dramatic drop-off in driving because no matter how convenient you make it to take the bus or the train, people are still going to jump in their car. And Phil Washington had that idea, this idea here in Denver, and I think that's one of the reasons that you're seeing our mayor, Denver's mayor, uh, Michael Hancock, trying to do similar um, uh, measures here around Metro Denver as they're doing with the uh, de Blasio administration in New York City to try to make traffic so congested in the city that it makes, uh, I guess, more palatable to get on a train or a bus if you're in downtown Denver. It's so funny. I was about to praise Mayor Michael Hancock, and then you compared him to Bill de Blasio, and I I just immediately got a bad taste in my mouth. (laughs) So now back to the uh, editorial from the L.A. Times. The question isn't whether congestion pricing works, but whether it's fair. Transportation experts say congestion pricing is the rare silver bullet solution to excessive traffic. After London enacted a congestion charge to enter the city center in 2003, car traffic dropped nearly 40% and travel speeds on the city streets increased. Duh. Whatever you tax, you get less of. If you're going to tax people are going to drive less. As a pedestrian in the city core, bring it on, man. Give me 40% fewer cars in downtown Denver any day of the week. Give me 20% fewer cars. Think of how much more convenient your drive to work would be, since you don't really have a choice. I mean, you're driving. Yes, I'm driving. Whether it's service or not. 40% fewer cars? Yeah. Amazing. Stockholm's congestion tax cut traffic and air pollution in heavily traveled areas, while Swedes were initially skeptical of the tax. But polls showed more than 70% opposed the tax before it was implemented. But in a few years, public opinion flipped and 70% supported the tax. Fixed per vehicle tolls are regressive. 
wealthier people can pay an extra 10 to $15 a day and get their benefit of a faster drive, while lower-income people could be priced out of their cars. The challenge for L.A. Metro Transit will be to develop a congestion pricing system that doesn't penalize the poor or leave those who live in neighborhoods with poor transit service. Again, it's a progressive tax system. It's just like they say all the time with our HOV express lanes. They called them Lexus lanes when they first came out because you as a single driver had the opportunity to drive in those lanes and pay the toll. You could also use it for free if you have three or more people in your car. But the people that have less income, then they're typically not going to use it. And then they're sitting in the free lanes and the congestion uh, while, uh, you know, Elon Musk is driving his Tesla at 60 miles an hour in the express lane. Well, uh, if you added a subplot here, right, and you have the congestion charge, but the congestion charge is waived if you have more than one person in your car, right? So then you get sort of the best of both worlds with this stuff, and you're encouraging people to carpool while still theoretically reducing traffic on the roads. The LA Times editorial continues, congestion pricing is workable for rich and poor alike, Unless the affected area has public transportation system reliable enough to provide commuters a realistic alternative to driving. There are a few places in Los Angeles now that have such a system. Downtown L.A. might qualify, but there may be more in the future as Metro adds lines. Toll revenues could be used to lower fares and add buses to trains so it's even cheaper and more convenient to take public transit. Or the money could provide subsidies for low-wage workers who drive in congestion pricing zones. Another complaint is that congestion pricing forces drivers to pay twice. They already paid gas tax and vehicle fees for road maintenance. A toll would be another fee to use a public asset they already paid for. We hear that argument a lot here. That's what we're going to complain about, public asset that we already paid for. That is literally what a bus fee is. Is it not? Well, Well, I suppose it is. Yeah. But there's nothing, but you're not, when you're on the bus... You are, are on purpose paying that bus fee to ride the bus. You are paying this for that service. If I'm driving my car, I'm being to- taxed or told or, or charged to, to ri- drive in my own car that I already that, that I wasn't being charged before. I, so I'm using the argument with Warriors a comparison with the gas tax and anything else, right? As far as the roads go, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just mean, it think- comes down to a usage tax. You use it, you, you, you pay for it. Right. It's not, it, you're not paying for using the car. You're paying for using the road. But you're paying for it three times. Uh, yep. But there's nothing unusual about this arrangement. We pay an administration fee to set state and national parks. Even though tax dollars maintain these areas, we feed the meter in order to park our car on a public street. And this is still the opinion from the L.A. editorial uh, board. A car-clogged freeway is not functioning as designed. Congestion pricing helps get roads working again by encouraging would-be drivers to stay off during busy times. It's a lot cheaper and easier than widening every freeway and road in Los Angeles, which would be practically impossible, not to mention incredibly expensive, disruptive, and ultimately useless. Studies show that when a road is built or widened to ease congestion, it often persuades more people to drive, which results in similar or worse congestion than before the project. Studies also show that greenhouse gas emissions worldwide are growing at a faster pace, making it much harder to prevent the most severe effects of climate change. In California, the transportation sector is the state's largest source of greenhouse gases. People are driving more and emissions have risen despite the arrival of vehicles that burn less fuel per mile. It's clear that radical steps are needed if the world has any hope of slowing climate change. Is that what this is really coming down to? Slowing climate change? What, what, you know, we've talked about this. We try to not make this political. We do. We do try that. But you know what? The climate has changed forever. Mm -hmm. It will continue to change. Forever. Phil Washington (laughs) told a Metro board committee last week, We're talking about saving mankind here. Oh, God. Even if congestion pricing alone doesn't save mankind, it probably could save Los Angeles from smothering traffic and air pollution. The unanswered question at this point is whether Metro can do it in a way that's both effective and fair. 
That again is the opinion piece from the Los Angeles Times editorial board. Why did we, why did we have to say we were saving mankind? He was doing such a good job of making his argument before he said he was trying because to save mankind. Because this all goes back to the whole climate change thing. But it doesn't. It doesn't have to anyway. Like we don't have to tie it to climate change. We but they do. Say, but that's the way they. That's right. That's their their deal. But that's unnecessary because this, this is a fee that makes sense. This is a fee that makes sense to raise money in a way that we're going to use it that's sensible. Why, why do we have to save mankind, too? It's like an action movie. You're saving the world already. I don't need you to fall in love. I just need you to kill some bad guys and save the planet. I fully expect New York City to implement some kind of congestion or fee to drive around Manhattan. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised it really hasn't happened yet. It will happen before the end of the de Blasio administration. Yep. Because he was just reelected. Is it a, it? It's just in Manhattan, right? It's not a all it, no, of New York be, City. No, it would be yeah, just in the Manhattan borough and not yeah. all the five. Um, it, well, you know what? It, 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 they already have a system in place to toll you coming into Manhattan anyway, because say, it's yeah. an island. So you have to come across a bridge or a tunnel unless mm-hmm. you already live there, right? Um, so if you're coming across, you're already paying a toll. I guess you're already going to pay then an extra toll. Or they'll charge more, or I, I don't know what they'll do, and they'll say this toll is for the bridge maintenance or the toll or the uh, tunnel maintenance, and then the next toll is for congestion pricing. Imagine the surprise in the eyes of a young family traveling to New York City for the first time, getting ready to go to Times Square, only to find out they have to pay thirty-five dollars, <laughs> yeah, to get over the bridge into Manhattan. And the same thing, let's say in Los Angeles, you're trying to drive down into downtown Los Angeles, and you're and you're visiting there, and you have a rental car that you're already paying about what twenty-seven percent in taxes for it, right. and then you have to get a, a a toll fee that you have to drive into downtown Los Angeles of another twenty-five dollars. I, so when we were in uh, Florida, we took, uh, coming off of Miami Beach, there were two ways to do it. I could have gone to the causeway, which is free, or we cut across this other road through these, it's a series of little islands where these really rich houses are, and, it, you know, the kids wanted to see it. It's pretty. They're, they're fun houses to look at. Well, anyway, it's a toll road of $3. <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, $3, but they don't have a toll booth operator where I could have handed the $3 to. They had to do it via the license plate tolling. Well, I was renting a car. And so the rental car agency not only charged me the $3, obviously, that, and that was fine, but they charged me another $6 convenience fee to drive on the toll road or pass the toll booth. That's infuriating. That, yes. makes, me, that makes me very mad on your behalf. So I paid triple that. the toll to drive on that road when I could have done it free on uh, the causeway. But I figured it, look, I'm already spending you know, thousands of dollars on this cruise. I, I think I can absorb another six bucks. Well, it's just funny because I mean, I've never been on a road trip where I was like, yeah, I'm ready for every toll booth that comes up. No, man. I, I hit two tolls, and then I'm stopping at the next rest stop so I can go to the ATM so I have cash for the rest of the tolls on the yep. trip. Now you're telling me I'm going to have to like pull multiple 20s out of my wallet to yes. pay for a toll? And, and the thing is, especially if you're in a rental car or you, let's say you're just driving your own car across the country and, and we don't have a set of standard toll plazas where like my toll thing that works here in Colorado works right. in other states... It does if you're in New Jersey. I think that uh, you're Metro on the, one. If you're on the Easy Pass system, right. that's uniform throughout every state that yeah, has it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But that's not everywhere. Right. And it, when we were driving in Florida, it was a task to go from the airport to this little restaurant I wanted to go to on the north side of downtown Miami because everything is a toll road coming out of the airport just about. And so I'm driving on these side roads, and I'm driving through these neighborhoods, and it was a little bit of a, of a challenge to try to get out of there just to get off of the toll highways that are all over South Florida. Right, right. Very frustrating. But I could see congestion pricing coming to San Francisco because, again, San Francisco, for the most part, is an island mm-hmm. um, that goes all the way down to Santa Clara. And so you have to pay the toll for the bridge maintenance, tunnel, all that stuff uh, to get into San Francisco. And they'll just add another one for congestion pricing. Look, I, I don't think there's a city in America that has a bustling urban core that you can get to easily from transit and bus that shouldn't at least consider instituting something like this. I, I genuinely mean that. I think there are probably 30 to 40 cities in this country right now where you could put in a similar congestion charge and it would be warranted and it would be effective. There were obviously a lot of comments about this uh, story from the L.A. Times editorial board. One of the comments said, the only glitch is that politicians cannot be trusted with all the new billions of dollars, especially when they belong to one political group. 
They will give themselves and their favorite organizations raises, higher pensions, and retirement packages. When businesses are overtaxed, they simply add the tax to their uh, profit margin, so each tax dollar has a multiplier effect on the lower-income people. That is actually true. You you never hear this from uh, economist people. Well, maybe you do. Um, but that when you buy something, if you go to McDonald's or anywhere else, doesn't matter where you're going, the companies really don't pay the tax. You do. You're buying their they have a cost of a product. So it, t- it costs X amount of dollars, 50 cents, to make a Big Mac. Okay? Let's say uh-huh. it costs 50 cents. They're going to charge you uh, for the cost of that, for the cost of the building, for the cost of the labor, for the cost of the electricity, and the cost of their taxes. Uh-huh. They are going to continue to make as much money as they want to make. So they're going to adjust their prices accordingly. So we are paying the corporate taxes. So when you hear about corporate Taxes going up, and everybody's, yay, the corporations are paying more taxes. We're paying that tax. We, the people that are buying their products. That's how it, That's how the economy works. Right, but how does that apply to adding a convenience charge? That that's that is a tax. I mean, that just is being applied to you. There's but that's, no middleman there. But that's what this this person in this comment is saying. It's saying basically all these extra taxes are going to go into this government, uh, this uh, political body that is going to spend it on other things and not really spend it on the roads and spend it on transit. Well, boo freaking who, man? I mean, that your every tax dollar you pay doesn't go towards what you want it to. If you don't want it that way, move to like New Zealand or something. Here's another. Another comment, why is the solution to every one of societal's problems more taxes on me, usually accompanied by subsidies to someone else who is inconvenienced by those same taxes? Here's an interesting take. Most of us can't control our drive times because our employers make that decision for us, and most of us aren't interested in public transportation that is unsafe, unreliable, inconvenient, and crime-prone. That guy needs to get a life and get happier with his life and probably get a new job as well. I'm sorry. If you're in a position where your employer sets your drive time for you, you need to really reevaluate. Well, I think what he's saying is that most businesses are open from eight to six or nine to five, whatever the case may be. So that's why you see. And really, as I've said before, the drive and businesses, all the all the times that are set are basically set around school. Yep. Because what is this? Anybody, they get, they go to school, right? They they have a job. They they're single for a couple of years. They get married. They have kids. But it's all about what the school system time is. When do you have to drop off your kids from school? When do you have to go pick them up? Yeah. And businesses go around that. Well, and that's all well and good. But at the same time, if you, the the business didn't tell you to move forty five minutes away from work so that you have a forty five minute commute every day, no, they didn't. Right? And if and if your business is forty five minutes away and you're no longer comfortable with that commute, you got two choices: you can move closer, you can find a new job. Both of those are effective. Neither one of them's that difficult. The unemployment rate's three point two percent right now. People are hiring, dude. I don't want to live in the city. Why? I don't want to have my kids raised in the downtown area. Understood. But I'm saying if you're not comfortable with a commute, you can't then complain about it, right? You've accepted the commute. You've made your bed with that. So either you accept the commute or you find a way to get a shorter one. Here's another take. Freeways, not fee-ways. Okay. L.A. has lousy public transportation. Unlike New York City, London, or Paris, our subways only go to downtown and our buses take hours to get to most work sites and safe and affordable housing is distant. The population of Los Angeles and its broad area make public transportation a torturous option for many four to six hours a day in an unsafe bus or subway on top of a 10-hour work day even middle-class drivers can't afford 15 to 30 dollars a day to use hov lanes bottom line build effective efficient and plentiful public transportation options first then look at influencing drivers to use them can i why why are we even having a debate freeways not feeways that's it that's it no, we don't even need to keep talking, man. Freeways, right not feeways. That's your new moniker. Wow. Here's another one. Any congestion fee needs to be fair. It will only work where people have real alternatives to driving. The yellow vest movement in France started when the government initiated an increased tax on gasoline when people had no alternatives to driving, being in rural area without public transportation. Now, the thing about France is they were increasing the fee on these uh, farmers, especially, which was really hurting them because they have no other option except to buy gasoline for their farm equipment and and to get around those rural areas. So that's really where that came from. Right. Well, and that person's argument is basically there were riots because people tried to do something similar somewhere else. And what's the implication? There's going to be riots here, too, if people try to raise the gas tax? I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. I mean, it's California, for Pete's sake. Uh, here's another one. I thought L.A.'s massive investment in public transportation was going to whisk people around so quickly they wouldn't even want to get in their lovely electronic... Uh, 
into their lovely electric cars. But nope, turns out they like driving themselves from point A to point B in their gas-guzzling SUV, even if it takes a long time in rush hour traffic. So now we have to try to make that so costly they'll spend hours every day on public transportation. Why does everybody hate California so much? What did California do to the world? I don't understand. They taxed everybody into oblivion. Are we just jealous of the coast? I think we're just jealous of the coast. And the weather. Yeah. Uh, Here's another one. Los Angeles isn't London. Our public transportation system is not really a viable alternative to driving yet. I tried commuting to Pasadena from Santa Monica on public transportation many times, but it's over an hour and a half or longer each way, depending on connections. Even with traffic, driving was still a better option. It's often worse on city streets. So what happens when all those freeway drivers take to the streets to save money? Yeah, you know, it was an argument that I didn't want to dive too much into because I've never been to Los Angeles and I've never been able to really experience the public transit there. But what I have heard is that the investment that they're making is something that you're not really going to see the benefits of for a few years. Right. So so it may not be make the most sense to jumpstart all of these other processes until you do build out that public transit infrastructure so that it's more effective for more people. And that's what one of the people said. That's what actually what most people are saying. Get the transits working first and then tax everybody into oblivion yeah. so they'll get out of their Get out of their car. Right. Don't skip steps. Uh, the last one that I saw was, I've been in favor of congestion tolling for a long time. I'll happily pay 10 to $20 a day for average speeds to increase even as little as 30 miles an hour during commute hours on freeways. Beats creeping along for miles at 5 to 10 miles an hour. There's one person happy about it. But if you noticed, that person said they'll pay to keep driving their car. So they're not going to even take the public transport. They're just going to put up with the tax and try to hopefully uh, enjoy better speeds. Yep. Excited to get all the suckers off the road, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's, it's, it's a debate that is going to continue for a long, long time, I think. Yes. Um, Why do it, we hate California so much? That's the debate, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all don't hate California. Well, I guess, you know what? Boston, I think, hates California. Boston owns California right now. Boston just feels bad for California at this point. Yeah, they spanked L.A. Yeah. twice. Three Not, times. Well, obviously. Well, no, I'm talking the Super Bowl. Yep. I'm talking the World Series. Yep. I'm, I'm looking ahead to the Celtics beating the Lakers multiple times in the future. So. Well, the, well, the Lakers aren't very good. Even with LeBron, they're not right. that great just yet. But, hey, let's hear it for the Nuggets, who are ahead of the Western Conference. Let's hear it for the Nuggets, man. No talk of, from the sports talk radio around here No. Uh, for the Denver Nuggets. Nope. Oh, yeah, and a uh, special uh, uh, RIP, rest in peace, to a uh, friend of mine, somebody I worked with a long time ago when I first started radio in Denver, Irv Brown. He, I'll tell you what, there wasn't anybody that you could talk to that would say a bad word about Irv Brown. Super nice guy, remembered everybody, all these little Irvisms. I, I remember r- uh, learning so much from Irv when I, when I worked with him for a couple Can of years. Can you drop an Irvism on us right now? He would go, uh, he would say, let me mention a guy. He'd have a stack of business cards. He would collect business cards from everybody. And he would talk about these people as if he knew them, and he would talk about their high school they went to and any sports that they played, and he would say, good guy, and, uh, you know, check out this guy. Um, it, it, was, it, it was amazing, his recall of people and uh, where they went to school and all of that. It was really great. Okay. Uh, but he would always end the, the right before going to break, he would just yell, time out! <laughs> he would just go, let me mention a guy, blah, 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 you know, and all this. And then you time go, time out. Go, you know, time out. Okay. You, it's like the signal to go to the commercial break. There that, you go. That's a man who could have had a few, who could have been making a career today <laughs> in sports talk radio. Some things some things are timeless, and that is definitely one oh, of them. Oh, yeah. No, he started pretty much everybody in this town who does sports. He helped them get into either sports talk radio or do sports on TV. Wow. He really was. Wow. Anyway, thanks again for being here on the show. Uh, I had a really great time. I loved our interview with, uh, uh, Representative McKean, I think that was a fantastic uh, part of the show here. I'm hoping I was I was efforting another interview with somebody. <laughs> I get this press release from this outfit talking about uh, how easy it is to pass a driver's test here in Colorado compared to other states. And so we, I was I was trying to book that that guest and the guy. Uh, so the, the the agency contact you know got me in contact with the guy and then the guy says I have no idea what you're talking about and I sent him the press release and he goes still no it's all clicks and pops over here so. I said, well, sorry, I can't do this interview then, All sir. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad somebody is using you for quotes that Research. you have no idea what you're doing. Wow. <laughs>
<laughs> so anyway, oh, there was a guy that was complaining about I-70 mountain traffic. Uh, he left a voicemail on the Contact 7, so maybe we'll have him on next week. Just play his voicemail. I love a good voicemail. Just voice play mail. the voicemail. Maybe we should play the voicemail and then have him on to talk about what his solutions are yeah, yeah. for I-70 traffic. Anyway, I'll give him a Taxes. call. Taxes. <laughs> Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Looper, the traffic guy. Freeways, not feeways. I'm Joseph Peters. <laughs> no, you say, I am freeways, not feeways advocate. Joseph Peters. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I... <laughs> None of this makes sense. Anyway, thanks for being here. (laughs) Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.